Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Daniel Mullins. He's an indie game developer who makes meta genre-busting games like Pony Island and The Hex. His latest Video Game Awards-nominated game is called Inscription, which we've talked about a few times on the podcast, (laughs) and mixes Magic the Gathering, roguelikes, horror, found footage, and ARGs in a way that has become an obsessive experience for both Terry and myself. Uh, Welcome to the show, Daniel! Hey, thanks for having me on the show. You sound like fangirls, but (laughs) it's true. Okay, so before we do talk about Inscription and sort of like your creative side of things, um, how did you first get introduced to horror, whether it's movies, books, whatever? Yeah, I think it would be um, when I was still a kid, but a bit older, and it was like a cool thing to do to go over to a friend's house and watch um, a horror movie in their basement, kind of. And it was like, no one was fully comfortable with it. Like at that age, I think we were all just like, this (laughs) is kind of scary, but like we have to pretend it's not to the other kids. And so I think I was in like grade seven or six or seven or so. And like, I I remember watching um, like The Ring, The Grudge. Mm. Uh, I think The Grudge was the one that actually scared me the most. But even then I didn't find like the standard horror stuff really scared me that much. It's not like I would like, like I couldn't watch it or I would go home and it would haunt me later. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was too old for it at that point or something or too old to be like super disturbed by it. But yeah, I think that would be the first time I watched horror movies. Okay. So be- before that, uh, you that, were those kind of maybe your first horror movies were your introduction to that, to the genre? Yeah, I think that would be it as far as I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so as a kid, did you like horror after you saw those films or... Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I like the excitement of it just, um, and, and I think at that age, uh, it was like the communal experience of like watching it with a yeah. group and like having people be scared. So yeah, I definitely did. And well, you also said that there are like things like that don't necessarily scare you, but what did scare you as a kid? Or were you just like a cool kid that wasn't scared? No, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it did. It's not like I was like complete, like it definitely like the <laughs> kid in the attic in the grudge is like, Nothing to laugh about, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I that found... ruined my life. Yeah. I saw it as a kid. I've ruined my life. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've always found like things, certain things disturbing that aren't necessarily like labeled horror movies. Like I think um, certain David Lynch scenes are still the most disturbing thing to me. I think like tw- in Twin Peaks, um, the Bob character, just like every time you mm. see his face, just still freaks me out it's just something about it the way it's shot 
And and then like I think some of the most disturbing scenes I can think of are from David Lynch movies like uh in Mulholland Drive that cafe or uh, cafe or where are they like a diner yeah and the guy's remembering his dream and then it like becomes real and there's that horrible face behind the wall I think that's my like number one horrifying scene of all time even well that's the <laughs> best jump scare when, yeah. uh fun fact Bonnie Aarons who plays the nun in The Conjuring played that character and oh. it is horrifying yeah seriously and I really liked how that um creature or thing or person that comes out from behind the wall uh reappears in uh twin peaks the return uh that season three that was more recent wait when hold on remind me when well i thought that um those forest like dark people were the same were the same creature or the same got a light no like the the many different dark shadow people who like like for instance they resurrect evil cooper Oh, but they're in a oh, bunch of scenes oh. too. I could yes, be I could okay. be I haven't like gone on Reddit and like made sure oh, they're the same, but they really look <laughs> the same and I thought they were meant oh. to be, but maybe they're not. <laughs> Terry, are you a Twin Peaks person? I'm out of my depth here. <laughs> 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 I'm just gonna let the two of you yeah. talk about it and nerd out a little well, bit. I'm I'm curious then, like how how old were you when you were introduced to David Lynch? Were you an appropriate age or were you I was a, a younger I was an person? appropriate. Well, no, uh, no, okay. I was the first time I was exposed was um I was way too young and and my grandma was babysitting me and we watched the David Lynch Dune right off the bat. <laughs> there's some crazy <laughs> shit that happens right off the bat. That I don't even want to say because it's so messed up. Um, and I think we didn't watch very far into it. It was just like, my grandma was like, oh no, this is bad. And then, uh, turned it off and I was in agreement at the time. Um, so that was hilarious but, moment. Yeah. That is the only David Lynch film I've seen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then the rest was at Mary a later Penn's age. giving me looks. Yeah. It's that's the only the one only I've seen. David, not, okay. Whatever. We're not going to go there. <laughs> we won't get me started on David Lynch movies, but you should watch some. They're really good. But I'm just curious, like, did you, was what was your relationship like with horror outside of watching it with friends? Like, was it something you had in your life, like, with books and stuff as a kid? Or was it just something that wasn't really, you weren't really, like, into that much yeah. until you started watching them at, like, birthday I think parties I, and stuff? It, just, like, a, it, not an obsession, but, like, um, every, like, I, I definitely read a lot of Stephen King books. Although my favorite mm-hmm. Stephen King book series was The Dark Tower. And that's yeah. has some horror oh. elements, but it was not that horrifying. So it was kind of like tangentially, I was into it, mm-hmm. but never like the biggest horror movies or the most um, popular ones, I guess. Cool. And with with video games, you could, uh, I'm assuming did you did you play video games when you were a kid? Yeah, big time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you like horror games? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I played many when I was a kid. I think my parents were a little more. For some reason, Grandma was showing me David Lynch Dune, but they were keeping a closer eye on the video games. <laughs> yeah, I. It's it's so it was so it was weird for me. I'm because I'm 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 forty. Yeah. I'm forty one. Well, forty one now, and um, I remember a time when video games were like just video games, mm-hmm. and then I also remember the time when in the nineties when all of a sudden it was like axe down on video games because of Mortal Kombat yeah. and because of Night Trap and all this, you know, ridiculousness. And I remember my parents going from being completely blase about whatever I was playing to like all of a sudden, you can't pick up Night Trap. I saw that on the news. Yeah. And I'm like, you let me watch rated our movies. Yeah. So I but yeah, it's it's interesting uh, the way dynamics happen in terms of what kind of content you're allowed to consume yeah because my parents were also would let me read any book i wanted to yeah. and whoo boy did i the learn a whole was, lot about everything yeah, that was the same the with me how i got away with so <laughs> yeah. much stuff i like had no idea yeah they They're don't like, know what's what? in them They're not good. they can't like walk in and see the screen <laughs> like they can read right. an excerpt i guess <laughs> like you're reading yeah. yes i'm reading and <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of sex in this yeah. book who knew american psycho had, had like a lot of you know descriptions of of uh, a sexual intercourse but yeah, yeah it's a no oh, it's wild that's just one thing it has in it good lord <laughs> um but like what era of video games do you grow up playing like what were your consoles of choice yeah is a, I, so the about. first i ever got was a game boy color and I got Pokemon oh, wow. Red and Blue version. Yeah. And that's not... Oh my god, that was my first. But <laughs> yeah. I got Pokemon Yellow. Oh, and I got cool. a I got a purple, clear Game Boy Color. Oh, yeah. That I think I still have. I think I had that purple somewhere. one, too. Yeah. <gasps> oh, 
Yeah, it was the coolest. It was very cool. Um, yeah, and, and Pokemon it wasn't entirely not scary. I mean, there was like the ghost town and the the and then especially was it Lavender course, Town? Yeah, Lavender, oh, Lavender Town. Lavender Town with the ghost tower and that so- the song that everyone was like, "It's cursed." Yeah. the haunted Pokemon will come get you. And I was like, "I'm not messing with that shit." Yeah, fun fact for inscription: When I got Jonah Senzel, the composer, to do the music for the Grimora Temple in Part Two, I gave him. Oh, mm-hmm. I said, "Like, make Lavender Town, basically, just do that." And uh, that was the only reference I gave because I wanted to give the same kind of spookiness. That's amazing! That's incredible! Wow! Now I'm gonna go back and listen to that part and think about yeah. that. Uh, and then, yeah, I got um, the N64. Like a little bit mm-hmm. after it had come out, and uh, and I was always Nintendo, and and so I guess Nintendo isn't known for having it. it's like some of those early like really good horror games were on the PlayStation, which I never had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I was my my parents were very similar. Like we had Nintendo because my mom knew Nintendo and Mario. Yeah, but I always played Luigi's Mansion on the GameCube oh, yeah. because it wasn't like super scary, but it had ghosts in it, and it was a ghost hunting game, and it was I played that constantly because it was like scary but cute. Yeah, and I still love Luigi's Mansion. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's one of my favorite video games. Yeah. I don't care. I think it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I think my introduction to like horror games, I mean, I mean, I guess I could look back at like the NES with, because they did a lot of, you know, the, the Friday the 13th game and mm-hmm. that, but they were never really scary. But I think the my introduction for me personally to like horror in games was probably the Sega CD because they did, they did a lot mm-hmm. of like Night Trap was released on there. And then they did a lot of like those FMV, the, the, the motion video oh, things like Corpse yeah. Killer and there was like an alien one that I can't think of what its name was off the top of my head, but there was like a whole lot of those type of games that they had released there. What is like, oh wow, video games can be horror, yeah, <laughs> which is an interesting uh, thing for me as a as a horror movie kid. It was like a, a a reawakening. Yeah, it makes sense. I guess that that the FMV games would be among the earlier scary ones. It seems like it's with simpler graphics, it just does seem harder mm-hmm. to pull off. But of course, there's plenty of good examples of lo-fi games that still are scary like faith recently even yeah it, there seems to definitely be a, a a push back into that in terms of particularly with any develop indie game development yeah. which I'm, i love because i'm i as a kid again i would play these games that i didn't find them scary and then i would start looking at people playing through them on youtube now i'm like oh wow this is actually kind of kind of creepy mm-hmm. and it's it's i think it taps into that kind of childhood nostalgia yet fear yeah. aspect of it maybe yeah um, so do you do you watch horror movies now as an adult? I do, yeah. I, um, it's not like I, um, I'm watching every single one that comes out, but I, I do try to keep up with like what people are saying are good films and, and like take my friends' recommendations and stuff. So I've seen some of the more recent like horror hits like uh, Midsummer, Hereditary, mm. um, The Witch, and, and some of those, and I loved all of them. Um, can you think of any other... like? like uh good examples of like recent stuff that um maybe i've overlooked or something or um in the vein of those i would say like the dark and the wicked okay i don't know where that good have you have you seen have you seen the strangers no oh, okay the guy did the strangers did it okay and if you want to watch something that's like two movies that are dark and just like unrelenting those two okay are what movies to watch they're real good cool so yeah. But then, so, and then I'm curious about like what kind of games you've been playing. Like, what games do you like to play now? And like, what are some of your favorite, especially in like, the vein of horror? Like, yeah. what are you really into playing? Well, luckily, in the vein of horror, I I have been um, exploring the Resident Evil series lately. Mm. I was oh, kind of yes. I wanted to kind of after releasing Inscription, like, kind of get back into playing more games because I had been crunching a little bit and hadn't had much time for it. And then I thought it'd be cool to. Um, actually like explore a series rather than just like spotty games and especially one oh, that i yeah. like never ever looked at or played at all so i i decided to start with the recent ones and i did uh seven and then eight and then just recently i finished the resident evil 2 remake and then even after that i tried uh the vr version of resident evil 4 which was oh. kind of cool actually i was surprised <laughs> Uh, yeah, that one looks really cool. I have, I have a. It's on Quest, right? Yeah, Oculus yeah. Quest. I, I have it, but like the, sometimes some of those games, they, I, I get really severe motion yeah, sickness, and so sometimes I played eight in the VR headset. Oh, really? I didn't even know you could do that. Cool. Yeah, I played. 
like part of it and it was a nightmare like okay. in a good way but it was an it was a nightmare because yeah. <laughs> it was just like a lot of things in your face yeah yeah <laughs> so someone who's not who has never played them until now what do you think of the resident evil games i especially like the new ones and um i i i would like to eventually try playing like the, the older like maybe like the original resident evil 2 with an emulator or something because mm-hmm. i'd like to see like how these themes have like carried forward over the years but i really enjoyed these modern ones i I like they are scary but there's a lot more to it than that like there's just an enjoyable game at the heart of it like a managing your resources and it kind of Mm -hmm. is done at a perfect balance that you're always a little bit stressed out about shooting your last bullet and yeah that game is stressful with that kind of thing i love four when you're leon (laughs) and with like the cult and it's just so ridiculous like four and eight yeah. And also, I didn't play 8 on VR. I played 7. Sorry, okay, I got okay. mixed up. Yeah. I forget <laughs> what numbers, yeah. but 4 and, and 8 were very similar. Yeah. Kind-ish. See, my favorite is 7, honestly. I love... 7's so good. That was my first Resident Evil game. I didn't play them until oh, really? 7 came out. Like, I didn't really grow up playing them, so... Yeah, I gotta agree. I like 7 the most out of what I've played so far. Dude, just that, that opening 90 minutes... Yeah. Where like up until like the almost Evil Dead esque moment where the wife becomes possessed and stuff, yeah. it's like that is like a perfectly executed horror experience right yeah. there. It's just just unrelenting yeah. and constantly like ratcheting up the tension. Yeah, the menace of like and I especially remember like just like skulking around the hallway after that dinner, and the the father of the family is so menacing. Mm. He's just a guy though, but he's. Like and he's busting through the wall and like <laughs> so kind of transitioning to the creative side. How did how did you get interested in developing uh, video games and and doing that kind of programming stuff? I think it's just something I've always um, done because of my love of playing them. Um, like mm-hmm. even when I was a kid, I would do uh, before I had any sort of technical or computer skills, just like making cards of you know, game characters, like little card games that would have like Super Mario characters in them and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, and then um, and then eventually I got into using computers and I was doing stuff like um, using Flash to make simple Flash games mm-hmm. in that like Newgrounds era, mm-hmm. but like never posted any online and they were even worse than the stuff you'd find there. But um, <laughs> and then like stuff like RPG Maker and things where I didn't have to learn how to program. Mm-hmm. And then I went to school to... Uh, learn how to program for computer science and then so i was able to kind of put those like skills with the kind of art and kind of general design skills i already had and that's how i started wow cool i'm always like like in awe of people that can make video games because it's i i love i've I've played with them my entire life and i mean even when playing stuff that's like more scripted like i tried playing dreams on the playstation or like little big planet and i had all these ideas of things i wanted to do and i'm just like i I can't make the pieces fit together. So whenever I see people making games, I'm just like, it's, it's like, it's magic to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like how does inscription come to be? You know (laughs) what I mean? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess part of it is I, I did have a lot of experience going into it and then, um, it comes to be, I guess, just over like three long years of working hard on it. I, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, during the pandemic, I, I was, didn't have much else to do. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We've talked about inscription on the podcast before. So listeners probably know a little bit about it, but can you, in case they have missed those episodes, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what inscription is about? Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess there's two parts of it. It's kind of like what it appears to be at first and then what it kind of expands into. And so what it appears to be at first is that you're, um, it's a deck building roguelike, which means you're kind of, uh, building a deck of cards over the course of a run and at the end of the run it resets and you start again uh you're in a dark cabin across from a googly-eyed bad guy uh <laughs> who talks to you in a deep synthy reverby voice and, i love him <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh the cards are woodland critters uh, like stoats squirrels wolves um some of them talk to you and you don't know why you can stand up from the <laughs> sure table do. and solve puzzles that are in this cabin. And then eventually uh, the puzzles and the card game converge into a certain point and then uh, something happens and then there's a lot more. <laughs> and there's yes. a lot more. Yeah, there is a lot more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, 
it's such a complex game with so many layers. Well, like I'm saying so many layers, it sounds cheesy, but it's not because it's like there's a lot <laughs> going on in this game. So yeah, I'm a few layers. curious, like it's just a couple. Um, how you kind of conceived of this game and were and built out this lore around it because there's so much going on in the background in the first part especially and you're kind of picking up the pieces about what's going on yeah. so just like how did that whole idea kind of come about for you and what was it like to kind of build that world out yeah i guess it came in a few different stages like the first step uh came about in a 48 hour game jam that i did and um oh so, cool yeah so a lot of the like basic parts of part one like the leshy the opponent uh, the setting, the the like the visual style, like the woodland critter theme of the cards was all uh, in that game jam version that was called Sacrifices Must Be Made. And so the first mm-hmm. thing I did for the first like maybe like eight, ten months uh, was expand that into this deck building roguelike with um, better graphics and and the cabin exploration and so on. And then it kind of there was one moment where it kind of exploded out where I had the idea of doing uh, the part two where the bad guy in part one is just one of four of these so-called scribes, mm-hmm. which are kind of like a little bit like Pokemon gym leaders at each with their own theme and kind of domain and they're each a boss. And so I had that idea and that was where the lore kind of um, expanded out. And then um, it made sense at the time that you'd go back to 3d and then uh, it would be the robot scribe to kind of contrast with the nature of part one. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I had the idea of doing the uh, found footage thing. Uh, and I thought that would like kind of tie everything together in a really nice way. So it kind of like, yeah, I think it could only happen by spending like three years. Like it, it wouldn't come up with it all at once. It kind of evolves. <laughs> so, okay. I'm a found footage freak. <laughs> all I, t- all I talk about on this podcast is found footage. Yeah. Not actually, uh-huh. but almost everything. Yeah. So Terry was like, Mary Beth, you have to play this game yeah. because this is incredibly your shit. Yeah. And it is incredibly my shit, yeah. shockingly. Um, and so I just wanted to hear more about why found footage? And also, are you a found footage person? Do you like found footage movies? And kind of just like your relationship with found footage and yeah. having it in the game. I definitely have liked the found footage movies that I've seen. I think the first one I saw was Clover, the original Cloverfield movie. Mm, okay. I, I remember really liking that. And it made an impression on me. That's a good one. I made, um, when I was in high school, I made some uh, crappy videos with my friends and one of the movies we made was a found footage one. So I had done that before, I guess, in a really uh, That's amateur amazing. capacity. That was the premise of the found footage movie. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, let me try to... Okay, so it starts, off where we're, <laughs> it starts off where we're in my basement. And then um, I, say, I say to my friend that we're going to go out to the park nearby and we're going to capture footage of a monster. And then... Um, person who's holding the camera like looks at me and then I start putting on a mask and then I say, oh. but it's actually a trick because there's no monster, of course, but there's a guy at school who's going to pay $20 for this footage. So I'm going to wear it and then um, get the money. So then we go to the park and then I'm like in the mask stomping around. And then um, what happens? Like <laughs> I'm butchering it because there's like two twists. There's like one where like, there's one monster and then it's, oh yeah, right. So, okay. So I'm stopping. <laughs> this is terrible. So I'm stopping around and then another person with a mask runs in and scares us both. Right. <laughs> and that was the person who paid the $20 and it was, it turned out to be to scare us. And then he picks up the camera and goes, oh, that was so worth 20 bucks. And then there's like a lion's roar monster sound effect. And then he screams and it cuts out. And then supposedly that's the real monster. Anyway, that's <laughs> if that made any sense. Okay, like uh, that's kind of, in- that's like kind of incredible though. I do love yeah. that. Yeah, it was, it was wow. pretty funny. That's amazing. Do you have it still? Can we release it? Uh, <laughs> I do have it on like, I have all those videos that we made private on Facebook. Cause that they're just really, really bad and embarrassing. So I don't know if that'll ever see the light of day. But <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm glad so you still it. have it, though. Yeah. You just have the memory for yeah. yourself. Yeah. Like, I did that. Uh, so, and then, yeah, and then back to the present, I guess. Um, it just seemed like it just kind of made sense as this idea to tell this overarching story of this character that was experiencing the same game that the player was. Um, and it, I think just the found footage just made 
made sense. I, I can't remember exactly why I, I did that. I, I really like, I, I had been experimenting uh, for a few games actually with the idea of using like just video footage in a game in interesting ways. Cause I had done that at, at the very end of the hex a little bit uh, in a few spaces. And then I had done actually for the dread X collection, um, my entry mm-hmm. uh, involved that. So I was kind of just interested in exploring that more. Cool. The first thing that that really grabbed me about the game was from the very opening when you're starting, you load up the game and you can't do new game. Oh yeah, and you have yeah. to hit continue. And so from that that moment, I was like, there, it it makes this feeling like you are playing something that someone else had started, yeah. and that raises the question of like, if someone else started it. What happened to them? And so you have like this initial layer of this sort of like, oh, gosh, I am playing something. If you let your mind go away with it, I am playing something that is like potentially dangerous. And then I love that the the found footage aspect of it, where then you start to see that the, the main character found this disc out in the wilderness. And there is something like... It brings me back to um, – because I'm a big – I was raised on VHS and beta. And there's mm-hmm. something – and I've talked about this on the podcast before. There's something really scary sometimes about grabbing like a VHS tape that's un- unmarked or unnamed. And you sort of put it in your machine and watch it because you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You could get something horrifying. You get some home videos. You get some porn. You could get everything yeah. like sort of mixed together in one kind of weird-ass <laughs> conglomeration. Does that ever You happened? don't know what you're getting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it has. Um, and so like I, it brought back that memory of like being a kid and, and popping in a video cassette and not knowing what you're going to get. And I love that a game that I downloaded on Steam can make can like emulate that feeling. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I definitely was trying to shoot for that. Um, I think with all three of my major games, uh, just surprise is just a big part of it that I that I enjoy putting into it. And it's something I enjoy for myself too. I, I don't really want to know the entirety of what I'm getting into when I start something just mm-hmm. is less interesting yeah. for me personally. So I, it's definitely intentional. Are you a big Magic the Gathering person? Yeah, that's pretty much why I Fuck did yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so my fiance and I play Magic the Gathering, and actually, I don't think you can see it behind me, but we have a whole whiteboard of deck planning. Nice. My fiance has yeah. an entire whiteboard, and the desk next to me is covered in Magic cards. Yeah. So we were playing this, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I know how to play Magic, so yeah. I get how this works." Yeah. And like, my fiance is having the best time. So. I just want, I was curious. I figured you were, but I wanted to triple yeah. check because I was like, this is so cool. I love that. De- and I love deck building. So it was just a really cool way of like that twist on deck building games. Yeah. It was definitely like I was drawing from my experience playing Magic, it, like the game, but also kind of the culture around it too. I was drawing from yeah. like, like uh, yeah, like deck opening. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. The pack opening videos and like all that stuff. Yeah, and and some of the personalities, like especially the robot character PO3. Um, like I I've gotten multiple people say like I know a, a person <laughs> like that who plays Magic. Like there's a certain type of player if you go to your local game store to play, which unfortunately you can't do at the moment. Um, right. Who, you'll pretty much guarantee you to find a PO3 among them. <laughs> so it's a. <laughs> What's your favorite color to play in Magic, or like, what's the color yeah. one you like to play the most? Um, I like. Sorry, Terry. I just I wanted to. I'm just curious <laughs> I, no, about I love Magic, Magic too. Uh, oh, that's right. Probably like blue, green, or blue, red. Like the, those weird Ooh. combinations that have blue in them. Yeah. Uh, cool. Especially in recent that's years, awesome. they've really um, leaned into that. Like as blue, green being like this mad scientist combo. It's... Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love creature decks out yeah. of green. I like building like aquatic horror decks oh, out yeah. of green and blue. Yeah. See, I, I, I was like an OG magic player back back in the day yeah. when I first started when coming unfortunately, out. unfortunately, it was even more nerdy to play magic. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And uh, me and my, my friends would, would gather around at, like uh, study hall. We would go to the library to like study and then we'd hide in a table in the back and play <laughs> and play magic. And I was always the, I would always play like the black deck. I would always be like the vampires. Yeah. I made vampires. I love So the Sengir vampires were big at that time. Yeah. And Baron Sengir was like my favorite card. I had him like in plastic wrap and I would put proxies in the cards. Oh, I didn't nice. want to bend him. He was like, you know, and so like I, th- this brought back the memories of, of that, especially with like the sa- the sacrifice kind of idea. Yeah. Although in magic, you're, you're getting it back, but here you're like literally sacrificing. <laughs> yeah. Squirrels, which I just thought I was so that. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. 
Tara, you should play Crypt Crimson Vow. It's the new. Va- it's like a vampire set that just came out. Oh, is it? You still care about magic? I Man, I'll tell you what. I came back because my, my brother still plays it. He's uh, uh, eight years younger than me, and he still plays it. And I've he he's tried to get me back into it. And I'm just like, what the hell do these cards <laughs> yeah. do? Because there's like there's like cards that have like pluses and minuses, and you put you uh, they move up and down, and I'm just like, what? Yeah, yeah. Where, where's my where's my centure vampire? It's a lot. <laughs> just fly. Yeah, and that's like the big thing. <laughs> And every set, there's some newfangled mechanic, so they just add up. If you looked at, like, one card from each set over the years, you'd be completely mind-blown. Like, it's... I, it, I yeah. was. <laughs> uh, okay, the other one of the other questions I really had about your game design ethos in, in particular, because um, after I played this game, I downloaded uh, Pony Island, and I'm in the middle of playing cool. it right now, and I haven't gotten to the hex yet, yeah. but I, I got them all, and... What I noticed particularly with as I started playing this game and then went back to Pony Island is the way that you like to play with um, kind of fourth wall breaking moments. And I'm thinking particular in I'm not I don't want to talk too much about spoilers because people might be playing uh, inscription. But there's a moment where your game searches your hard drive and holds like a file hostage. And then there's a moment where like my Steam friends all of a sudden were cards and they're fighting me. And I'm just where does all this inspiration come from, from like breaking that fourth wall and being kind of like meta in your uh, examination of, of the of video games, the art of video games? I think it's just something that I find interesting and exciting when it happens to me in games. I recently mm-hmm. played mm-hmm. A, a smaller game on itch.io called One Shot, where, and, and it, it does some cool things where it, one of the things it does is it, it knows your name because it knows your Windows username, but it presents oh, wow. it really well it just starts calling you it it doesn't like do some like lead up to like uh hype it up or anything it's just like hey daniel and you're like holy shit um and then <laughs> it does another trick where it puts a file in your documents folder and then it says you have to search through the documents and then it gives more hints because <sighs> you're probably not going to figure it out from that but then you find this like and it's not just that they put any file it's like a creepy like glitchy looking file name and then like when you open it up it's got like crazy like ASCII symbols to like mask the text. Anyway, so I just like to wow. see that stuff. I just think it just is cool. And so if I have ideas like that, I just think, oh, it would be cool if, and then I do it. And I usually, I mean, I, I like to um, use as much as I can of the platform that I'm on too. So if I'm on Steam, I want to see what I can get out of Steam. Like it's mm-hmm. this friendsless. I think that's why I did that in Pony Island. So yeah, I just um, find it interesting. And also, one final thing. I what surprised me after I finished uh, Inscription, and I went to Wikipedia and I was looking up information about it, and then all of a sudden I'm seeing that there's a ARG yeah. that's like being played out, and I'm like, what? And I fell down a rabbit hole. There's someone that is like compiled an entire Google Doc yeah, of the steps guide, that they man. went through. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And I was like going down this reading this. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. And I was I was surprised at, at how in depth it went, and that it sounds as if there was actually like a game hidden somewhere. <laughs> There, well, I mean, did, it kind of is a game in itself, I guess. It's, it's yeah. kind of like a community experience. That's how I look at it. It's like a one-time community experience. And like, I even started to realize it was partially almost performance art. Because I, I didn't plan on uh, doing the thing where I went to meet the players in the woods. I don't know if you read that part of the guy. I did, yes. Like, that was unplanned, unscripted. But then I kind of tried to like roll it into the experience and I'm I'm thinking for the next one that I do for the next game, I'm going to lean into that more and and have this performance art aspect to it and see what happens. That's so amazing. It it brought me back to this is always like my for ARGs because it's the one I was heavily involved with. It brought me back to uh, Nine Inch Nails when they Mm. were doing Year Zero back in the early 2000s and just sort of like the way that USBs would pop up at concerts and that sort of rabbit hole people would go down with that aspect of it. And I just, I love when I, I'm, I'm usually never like smart enough to get involved with it, but I always love reading about it, particularly afterwards and going, wow, all that, all the kind of community aspect of it is just, and it feels perfect to, to inscription too, which is all about sort of like breaking out of the mold of being just a typical computer game. Yeah. That's really cool to hear that they were doing that like in the early two thousands, you said. Yeah. yeah. This was uh, around their album year zero and they were leaving like USB uh, things that had like this, this loud, like sound in it and people put it through like audio, like visualizers yeah. and it was like a hand and Ooh. then it like led to coordinates. And there was like this whole, whole mythology that they had built behind it. And 
it just it's it, it's I think it was actually helped made by the same people that did uh, the is it we love bees or we are bees that Halo Two did mm. an ARG for back in that day. Yeah. Oh, just fascinating yeah, stuff. Really I cool. love I'm look into that. I later. love reading yeah. about ARGs. Cool. Yeah, Wikipedia has a really good entry on it. Okay. If, if you're ever interested yeah. with the year zero, they have like a good history about the ARG. Cool. But I love them. And I was so fascinated to find out that this is like the game ends and no, there's a whole other story yeah. that's going on. And I just love it when things do that. Okay. So, Daniel, we've chatted about your horror past yeah. and your current work. But what movie did you bring with you today for us to talk <laughs> right. about? So I don't think many people would consider this a horror movie, but... um my film that I remember most disturbing as a child was James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> so James and the Giant Peach is about an orphan who lives with his two cruel aunts. He befriends anthropomorphic bugs who live inside a giant peach and they embark on a journey to New York City. So They Daniel, sure do. What did you, I want to hear about the yeah. first time you watched this, why you considered it disturbing, why you picked it as your Scarred for Life movie. Yeah, so I don't, I must have been pretty young because I have a very hazy memory of it. Like, so I, I went back and looked and it came out in 96 and mm -hmm. um, I was born in 92 and I remember I saw it on VHS. So it must have been 97 at least. So I must have been mm -hmm. like around five or, or maybe six, I don't know. But I just remember just I don't think I was even able to finish it. It just something about the bugs and probably the centipede, especially now that I after re <laughs> going back to it, just found it so unsettling and disturbing. Uh, just and, and, and then I remembered it for like, I think years after and to this day as just this feeling of wrongness, like it's just mm. something grotesque about them. And I associated it like if if something went wrong with my life or it didn't make sense, then I might like associate it with like in some way with that freaky centipede or the, the bugs in it. I don't know why, but uh, it wigged me out. And I when, when I went back and looked at it now, it, I don't find it very scary, but uh, I can kind of see why, but I don't know. So you don't think you finished it? I don't think I finished it. it. I, I mean, but then again, it, I don't remember. I didn't even, re when I went back, I didn't even remember that it had the live action part before the bugs. <laughs> I just remember the bugs. I also, I think all of us were the same. Like, I definitely totally fucking forgot that. Yeah. I thought I clicked the wrong movie yeah, for a yeah. hot second. I was like, wait, why is there a yeah. real boy? Yeah. <laughs> we don't understand this. Yeah. But, um, I... I saw this. I honestly couldn't remember anything about this movie when I know I saw it, but I couldn't remember anything. I do remember the trailer though, because the trailer was in like on every Disney VHS from that age. I was born in '93, so I was a yeah. similar age of like had the Disney VHS tapes and that ad would play before it. I always remember the bag of glowworms or the alligator yeah. tongues, but like the glowworm bag and the fucking centipede, like doing that weird little thing where he <laughs> jumps. It's just like his legs. And then he like puts his whole body up. Yeah. Is that me? Like it just, that movement kind of like wigged me out a little bit. And like the thought of giant bugs yeah. also was kind of freaking me out. And it reminds, cause it's the same guy who did nightmare before Christmas. That, um, And I love that movie, but the, the animation, the claymation style is really uncomfortable. It's mm -hmm, both like mm -hmm. kind of cute, but also something very horrific. Like they're not finished or like the angles on their faces are weird and yeah. their faces don't quite make sense. Yeah. So they look like a little scary when they're not meant to be scary, but like they definitely have a weird vibe around them. That's like, I know you're nice, but something about you feels unsafe. Yeah. It's Uncanny Valley, the movie. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's very like much all of the, Valley. especially when he when he turns the you have the live action kid James, and then he turns into the the, the uh, you know the stop motion animation, and he looks off. The bugs look off. Mm -hmm. The the spider, like what really? Okay, spider. <laughs> Here's Harry the thing. Oh. Here's the thing you don't know about me, Daniel. <laughs> this whole podcast kind of started on my end because of uh, thinking about. Uh, arachnophobia the movie and okay. that is my scarred for life moment yeah. i don't do spiders i don't do spiders on television i don't do spiders in real life i don't do spiders on a picture i can't do 
spiders. Yeah. And so the moment I'm watching this movie and the live action, I was like, first of all, I was like, oh gosh, there's live action. I was like, how much of li- this movie is live action? And then the spider comes down. And I was like, fucking <laughs> hell, why is it always spiders yeah. in this goddamn podcast? Because it's been like, I think this is the fourth time. Oh no. And probably the fourth time that it's like surprise spider that I'm not prepared you for. And I was like, there was a spider. Oh, you had never seen this before, right? I thought I had saw this movie. I thought I had seen it. And it's probably because as you said, Mary Beth, the, uh, the, the, how, prolific the trailer were it was in front of like disney things because back then yeah. on vhs in particular you couldn't fast you would have to fast forward through it otherwise you would sit through them because there's no skipping and so i would typically sit through those those trailers and i feel like i i thought i honestly had thought i had saw this and i watched this movie and i was like i don't remember anything about this movie whatsoever you forgot about the but- beret wearing spider with a horrific accent <laughs> Susan Sarandon, come on. Her accent, is she French? Is she Russian? Is she trying to be Vlad the Impaler? <laughs> like, what is going on here with her accent? So funny. So funny. But that's but that's what kind of cued me in on, like, the Uncanny Valley, because I had to do a double take on her eyes, because she has eyes, and then there's eyes inside of her eyes. And that was, like, creepy. That kind of freaked me out, even as an an adult, just seeing those little two eyes inside the the actual bigger eyes. I was like, no. (laughs) No. Why why are they friends with a spider? (laughs) I think it could have been even, like, when I was, I don't, I I, know, I definitely, the, the image I remember most is when they're up on the peach, and, like, the bright um, the light of day. But then when I was rewatching it, um, I saw like the introduction to the insects where they have like glowing eyes and it's like inside the peach and it's very dark. Maybe that started to wig me out. And then I only lasted a bit longer or something as a kid before I like turned it off. But I don't know. I also thought, I don't know. I misremembered. I know the peach got big, but I guess I didn't realize that the, like the, the bugs for some reason i thought he went into the peach and he was bug sized i I don't know why that is what i remembered but i think i never wanted to imagine giant bugs i think that might have been part of it but when they're like you're giant bugs and at the end like at the end when the bugs are in like the newspaper i'm like oh my god they are huge like they are human bugs (laughs) like i cannot conceive of this in my brain like if i saw a human sized centipede i would shit my pants yeah (laughs) Terry would would leave his body if he yeah. saw a human uh, spider. Terry would just cease to like he would ex- disappear. I am also yeah, tapping yeah, out, guys. I'm really sorry for the random spider in inscription. Uh, <laughs> yes, because it every once I in a while, like, oh, like a friend. Yeah, <laughs> just like crawl across the table. I, no, I'm hoping it's not no. as bad because it's not very detailed, but I guess it's still. See, that's the thing is that like uh, if it's real. I can't yeah, handle yeah. it. If it's fake and CG, like that movie moment startled me, but I was okay yeah, with yeah. it. Uh, but like the beginning of this movie, just like I, I couldn't watch it. I, I literally was sitting there just. When he holds the spider in his hand? Oh, yeah, right. Girl, yeah. you're asking being bitten. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. No. You'd be like, you'd be like the ants. <laughs> yes, I was like, they they know what's yeah, what. Yeah. They they're like, kill it. Yeah. The beast is in the house. I'm like, yes, nuke it, burn it from space, get rid of it. No more spider. Yeah. And oh, they're living that's... with this thing when it's big. And I'm like, this spider could just easily web you up when you're asleep. And he is allowing her to like web him into her web. Yeah. I'm like, are you crazy, yeah. kid? Uh, speaking of the aunts, I they're horrific. Like oh they Roald, so are Roald Dahl hates yeah. parental figures. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I love Roald Dahl and my family are big Roald Dahl people. And for those of you unfamiliar, he did Matilda. He did uh the chocolate, Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory. He did the Witches. So he did a lot of stuff that is um very much like kids having the bad parental figures or trying to escape bad parental figures through fantasy, and um. Good God, I hate them. Like, I did, again, I forgot about them a little bit because I forgot the parents got eaten by a rhinoceros, which is fucking horrific. Like, that image of the clouds (laughs) and the rhino. (laughs) Yeah. That line, I was like, excuse me? (laughs) Because I even wrote it down. One day a terrible thing happened. An angry rhinoceros appeared out of nowhere and gobbled up his poor mother and father. I was like, excuse me? (laughs) What just happened? It seemed like it was almost being told from the perspective of the ants and it was like supposed to be a lie like unreal it's interesting though mary beth that you bring up the um uh the the kind of his dolls like relationship with parents because i did find an article on bbc uh where i 
I think it was someone that was maybe writing an autobiography or a biography about him. And he was talking about how he lost his father young and then his mother sent him away to boarding school where he was viciously beaten. And so those sadistic parents in his fiction are a reframing of his own experience. And so I think he has a lot of the, the trauma in terms of being abandoned by parents. Yeah. I was wondering about that, that trope because it, yeah, it's in that it's in his works, but also like it seemed more common around that time. Like if you think about Harry Potter, there's a similar mm -hmm. dynamic. And like, it yeah. seems like you don't see that as much anymore. Like it's this kind of like whimsical version of child abuse that they're depicting. It's not like, but it's like, <laughs> right. it's in this whimsical yes. world. It's like, it's so weird, but like it's, it is, if you like looked at it straight, it'd be like horrendous, but somehow they make it. So it's like kind of funny and like, but it's like, you don't really see that much these days. Do you, or am I just not seeing like what kids are watching? Like, <laughs> I, I don't think so. Like, I'm trying to think, cause, like, I have younger cousins and stuff and, like, watch things with them, but I think they've kind of moved away from the child abuse thing. Yeah. Like, more like kids who have, like, loving families but experience yeah. trauma, which is, like, kind of, like, just as bad, just in a very different way. <laughs> um, but, like, watching this, I was, like... This is so horrific as like child abuse, and it was it was interesting because like when I was a kid, I'd watch it, and you know you hate those characters as a kid, but yeah. I watch it now as an adult, and I get mad at the adults as like someone who I, I guess I have weird feminine parental urges sometimes because that's who I am as a woman in my late twenties, <laughs> but I just want to fucking punch them like this poor kid, yeah. like I just want to hold him and cradle him and tell him he is so sweet and he can eat like they don't let him eat. Yeah, that was. And it just made me very upset. Like, I don't think anybody upset. It's not like a huge, like, unique reaction, but it was just like a very different kind of anger watching it's it very, this time, which was interesting. Like, very bleak. Like, they 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 say they ate his dinner. They try to give him rotten fish heads, and then he has Ugh. to steal an empty bag of chips, and he eats like chip crumbs, and then licks the bag. <laughs> like that's that's dark. And this was four kids, right? And like. <laughs> It does. Yeah, it does seem like it wouldn't. It would ever be made and presented that way today. Well, and I, th I think that the original script that was turned in, because so they uh, people at Disney had wanted to make this film for a long time, particularly back in the eighties. But Disney back then was like, "Ooh, no, this is too weird and bizarre mm -hmm. and and dark for us to 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 release." Even though they're releasing things like Black Cauldron and a bunch of other stuff at that time. So it's, it's weird to me. There's like a dichotomy there. And then they got the rights in 1992 and they had, uh, so they had, they had hired a guy named Dennis Potter to write the original script and they turned it down because it was too dark and weird for them. And in his script, for instance, the shark, the really gnarly robotic shark was a Nazi. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so there is like uh, an edginess to this to this story before uh they kind of disneyfied it and toned it down a little yeah. bit i think the aunts in the original script were, were supposed to be smashed because they were killed in the book i yes. believe they were supposed to they be were right. rolled, smashed they were, they were hit by the peach when yeah. it gets detached they are run over by the peach yeah, and so that was one one area I think that they toned down. Um, I believe that uh, his he, the things that they kept from this Dennis Potter script was the uh, the dialogue from um, the Caterpillar. His dialogue mm -hmm. they kept that because it was a little sardonic, right? But yeah, but there is a darkness here that uh, I still think kind of shines through. I, I'm, I was thinking as I was watching this, I, I again was surprised at how much live action there is in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But even the live action part where it's supposed to be sort of like James's happiness before he gets taken away, it's all fake. Like, yeah. it's so artificial. It's like they have like a fake beach and the cliff behind him is you can tell that it's like paper, the the lighthouse, like everything about this is sort of fabricated in a way that makes it feel not real. So even the moments that are real have a very surreal quality yeah. to them that really like stuck with me this time as watching it. It's got Tim Burton vibes. You know what I mean? Like, it ha <laughs> does have those, like, Tim Burton, like, people, but exaggerated. Like, with especially with the aunts. Like, their features are very, like, their cheekbones. Especially with um the tall, the taller aunt. Yeah. Uh, Spiker. Spiker? Spiker. Um, like, she kind of has much more, like, defined cheeks. And it just feels, it feels kind of like, it feels like a Tim Burton, a live-action Tim Burton movie. And, like, mm -hmm. I know he produced this movie and Henry Selick directed it but still it kind of had that vibe of like a fantasy world 
ish. Like everything was just a little bit heightened and looks a little bit more fabricated. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that the, the, even the part with his parents was kind of disturbing in a way. It was like, so like saturated sweet that it was like almost a mockery. <laughs> like it was, a, mm-hmm. yes. yeah. Yeah. And then when, when you get to the end, I have, I, I was kind of, I kind of thought the ending was dark too, mm-hmm. because and I might be reading a little bit too, too much into this, but I think there's a parallel between how the movie ends and with the way the ants treated uh, the peach. Yeah. Because like, so the ants, they see the giant pumpkin or the di- giant peach and their first the thought pumpkin. is to parade it. Yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking every time I was watching this, I kept thinking as a pumpkin. I don't, yeah. I don't know why. Maybe it was the, the little gnarly thing on top or whatever, but so their first thought is to parade it about town and to sell tickets to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they put it on display as an object to be stared at. And then when James ends up in New York uh, and the people have devoured the peach down to its core, they turn the core into his house and they put him up in central park. But then he like, is being paraded about for a bunch of people. Like the last scene we've seen of him is him sitting in front of, of his house and there's a bolt whole crowd of people listening to his story. And it's almost as if like he has become the peach. Yeah. He has become the thing that people are coming to, to stare at and gawk at because his story is so wild. And now there's giant, giant bugs. And it just, I don't know. There's some, there's a little bit of a kind of darkness to that ending that is I think being presented as something happy because he has like his chosen family now he has like his spider for a mom which is creepy to me <laughs> and a caterpillar for a dad which is also creepy to me but like he's living in Central Park where everyone can come at any time they want to like gawk at him and I think that's really kind of creepy yeah. I mean, maybe I maybe I did see the whole thing as a kid and, and it just left a subconscious memory of, of all that extra stuff that I don't remember now, but yeah, it really is all the way through. It's disturbing. <laughs> again, it's like all of Roald Dahl's stuff is so dark. Like, again, there's a lot of chosen family, like Matilda, at least the movie, like she picks Miss Honey, her, her teacher as her new parents, but like, it's kind of sad watching her parents sign the adoption papers and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like he wins, but at what cost all those kids die? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. And it's just yeah. like... <laughs> It's just like, uh, but I love that. I love it when people write kids stuff, but make them really dark. Mm -hmm. I and I think that's why, like, I love some of the things I do now is because I was drawn to that like dark fantasy child kind of thing Mm -hmm. that was like mostly happy, but had twinges of something else going on. Yeah, and this, I think that definitely happens with this, like, very much happens with this movie. I mean, that crazy shark skeletons. Uh, all of the horrible the skeletons (laughs) the skeletons that almost draw and quarter the centipede i was like what how is this in a kid's movie because at first i thought oh god are they gonna keel haul him because that is also a very vicious way that pirates used to kill people tell me more about that oh keel hauling it's where they would take a person and they'd tie a rope on them and they would throw the rope over the other side of the boat and they would pull him under like across the keel that typically had barnacles on it and growths and stuff. And it would basically shred them as they were t- pulled across the yeah. keel of the boat. No good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just shred the skin right off of them if they if they live. <sighs> and so I thought that's what All they're right. doing here originally. <laughs> Not that not that being drawn and quartered is even is he is any better, but the fact yeah. that they're like going to pull him in half, I was like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. that got really dark really quick. Imagine if they did that and he just like ripped off his exoskeleton. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been horrendous. Uh, I also forgot how – I guess I didn't forget because I never saw it before, but I was surprised at how punny this movie mm. is. There are so many puns <laughs> that made me actually laugh. Yeah. I have two half brothers now. I love the worm. Oh, yeah. I love the worm. Yeah, yeah. Little friend. Yeah, or the the when when the centipede jumps off the boat to go to the skeletons and they're like, he committed pesticide. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, that one made me laugh, and I don't, I don't honestly know why because it's so dumb. Yeah. Or the joke about the skeletons can't play music in church because they have no organs. Oh, like yeah. just. I don't know. It's just that kind of stuff just like really tickled my funny bone this time. 
But like those are those lines too that as a kid you don't really get. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you watch that as an adult and you're like, oh, I love the little humor things they put in there. Like that gives the adults a chuckle because you know yeah. not all kids are gonna catch like the kind of verbal funny humor in those movies. Yeah, I've noticed that in in like Pixar stuff too. It's like it's so clearly there's like they know there's two audiences here and here's mm-hmm. for one audience and here's for the other and then we're trying to do both. Well, and like the also the thing that I love about this movie, well another thing I love about this movie is the animation style. Like I've touched on that before because mm. it's got that obviously like the the Nightmare Before Christmas vibe, but just like the intricacy of this movie and the sets, like when they catch the seagulls and they fly the peach into the air and there's that beautiful shot of them flying through the clouds and the peach mm-hmm. with the seagulls in the net. And like, it's just the scope of this movie is so impressive for what mm-hmm. it is for like the kind of the animation style and like the stop motion. Like that is just always so impressive to me that they're able to create something that vast yeah. and that detailed in that way. Like it just blows my mind. That that is something people create on like I don't yeah. know it's just like holy shit Did every bit of, you... of that was like moved by a person yeah, so yeah. Cool. yeah I was really impressed by the animation I was wondering if either of you had seen uh, the Netflix film The House that was it's a, came out this <laughs> year it's on my list yeah yes I saw it just came out I've Have heard good things it? about it though yeah I, I saw it recently and I really liked it it just seemed relevant because it. It uh, is also stop motion, a little bit of a different style. It's all made with felt. Um, and it, it actually has some things in similar uh, in common with uh, James and the Giant Peach, I'd say, like certain tone and and just the like inherent disturbingness of all the models mm-hmm. in it that are used. Like I think if I had seen that one as a kid, it would have had the same effect, possibly. It, the trailers make it look mildly creepy. Yeah, I'd say it's more than mildly creepy. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Pretty. There's there's a part. There, it's like three short stories, and the end of the second one is actually just like extremely disturbing. Uh, but oh. I, I'll, I'll just end with a, a recommendation of that since since you both haven't watched it. But, yeah, it's been on my list. Yeah. I I definitely wanted to check it out. So it just we it came out at a bad time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Sundance and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. It's like like I don't have time to watch yeah, movies yeah. for fun right now. But I'm definitely going to. I'm glad you brought that yeah. up because it's it's been in the back of my mind. But okay, the stop motion thing. I think Henry Selleck does not give is not given enough credit mm-hmm. because in particular because contrary to popular belief. Tim Burton did not direct Nightmare Before Christmas. He did. Mm -hmm. And he did the stop motion for that. And then he did James and the Giant Peach. And then he did, he directed Monkey Bone, which I don't, I don't think I've ever seen, but I've, is that the one with, isn't that the one with, um, yeah, it's the one with Brandon, Brandon Fraser is in it. Oh, that's right. And so he did that. And then, um, he also did Coraline, which is a movie we've, we've discussed on, on the podcast before he directed Coraline. And there was at time, I don't know if it's still happening, there's that video game Little Nightmares. He was supposedly making a television series oh. based off That's of the Stop really? Motion. Huh. That was like announced in like 2017, but I haven't heard anything about it mm. since. So I don't know if it ever is going to come to be because you never know with, with movies. But he did that. And now he also has an upcoming thing for Netflix called Wendell and Wild, and it's going to star Key and Peel. And it's oh, um, yes. stop motion. Oh, I'm so stoked for that. I love the sound that. of that, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, 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 he's done all of this stuff with, with stop motion. And I just, I don't know, he doesn't get the same name recognition, I don't think, as a lot of other uh, people making that kind of animated stuff, even though a lot of people have seen his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up and give this our rating out of five? Uh, no, I think we, we covered it pretty well, yeah. Cool. All right, Terry. How <laughs> many... Cigar smoking centipedes <laughs> slash the thing that scarred Daniel the most as a child. <laughs> Do you give James yeah. and the giant peach out of five? <laughs> uh, okay, I I went into this not really expecting a whole lot outside of how nice the the animation would look. Um, I was really surprised at how much of this is actually in live action because it's I think it's like twenty minutes at the beginning and then the last like maybe ten minutes of a hour and twenty movie is is a lot of live action. So I was. That great took me aback. Uh, but, you know, I think that the way that he is able to tap into childhood fears and the way that this movie kind of presents a not so nice look at like kids animation and kids like stories and like tall tales. Like, I think that this is a really, really 
actually well done movie. Um, I actually would have liked to have seen a little bit more of the, the stop motion. Cause I just, I think he is so talented when it comes to that kind of stuff. So for me, I think I'm going to unfortunately cut that centipede in half and <laughs> give it three and a half cigar smoking centipedes out of five. What about you, Mary Beth? I think I am going to keep my centipedes whole and give it four <laughs> centipedes. I think like that half a cent that little, that little half segment is mostly nostalgia for me and like kind of what this movie was for me as a kid and like that kind of mm-hmm. omnipresent omnipresence it had. Like even mm-hmm. if I only, I only saw it once, like the trailer haunted me. So yeah. and I was so excited to go back and visit it from you know an adult point of view to get the jokes and just really appreciate how beautiful it is because you know as a kid you don't always appreciate how like how incredible things are um like that and so i was nice to kind of get you know escape back into those kinds of worlds that are a little bit dark but really fantastical and just like really entertaining so it's four for me uh daniel you have the final word how many cigar smoking centipedes (laughs) yeah i I think I was also going to give it four cigar smoking centipedes. Um, yeah, it's, it is visually really impressive. It has like a pervasive mood and tone throughout that like leaves a mark on you clearly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if I had one criticism, and I don't even know if it's a fair one, it's just it feels a little, the live action stuff feels pretty dated. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> this, those those little miniature sets are quite cool. And, and I think those those really stand up and are interesting. But some of it just feels... So of its time in a way that not every movie from then does like it, it um, maybe was using like tropes or, or styles at the time that um, leaning into those a little much, uh, but you know, it, it was cool. So I'm yeah, four, four centipedes. Hell yeah. You know, the one, th- the one thing that just triggered my mind after you're talking about the live action thing is the fact that the actor that played James Paul Terry, uh, he didn't really do much after James and the Giant Peach. He he has like four credits to his name. One of them, weirdly enough, is the Lady Gaga music video "Marry the Night." What? <laughs> Sorry, I did not think that was what's going to come out of your mouth. <laughs> I'm gonna look that up after. I I actually, as soon as I saw that, I went and watched the 14 minute music video, and I don't know. I didn't see. I couldn't recognize him uh-huh. in there. There's a lot of dancers in it, so I don't know if he's like. I don't. I don't know. But apparently, according to IMDb, he is in that. And that was the last thing he did in 2011. And he is now like, I think, I think he has a degree in like chemistry. And I think he's a teacher. That's cool. And he's like completely left uh, the film industry. But like, it's just, it's wild to me because I, I you see him and I, he, he was definitely like giving his all in this performance, both as, you know, the live action, the voice and the, and the singing. And then to kind of see that after that, he did like, some kind of short-lived two years uh, TV series called Micro Soap. I don't, I don't know what that is. And then the, literally the Lady Gaga music video, and that's that's it. <laughs> Good for <That's>, him. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of strange. So he w- was an adult at that point, and like he 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 left. He got his chemistry degree, started teaching, and then he got pulled back in for the Lady Gaga video of all things. Like <laughs> I guess of all things. And I was trying to find like interviews yeah. to see like if he had talked about it. And every single thing I found that had like because there there's a couple one. In fact, uh, Flickering Myth uh, did an interview with him in 2021 about about being famous and leaving and leaving it and like leaving it all behind and, and everything. We can link that in the show notes. But it's um. Yeah, it, it's 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 always wild to me when you see like a child actor, and then that might be their only credit because you you typically think of child actors being like you know Drew Barrymore or like you know the 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 Olsen twins or all of that kind of stuff going through and becoming like bigger and bigger and maybe branching out to different entertainment. But this guy just left the whole field. It's like bye, <laughs> getting out while I'm ahead. Yeah. No more. It's of weird. This. uh well thank you so much daniel for joining us to talk about uh your fantastic game and also uh james the giant peach where can our listeners find you and what do you have to to plug or talk about yeah uh yeah well thanks for having me on um i think the link that i usually give is just for my twitter which is uh d mullins games on twitter because there's a link to my site from there and you could pretty much find anything starting there um yeah i guess um as far as plugging anything, um, inscription, obviously, I mean, we've talked enough about that. Uh, I'm releasing an expansion for it, uh, somewhat soon. It's in beta Ooh. right now. Yeah. Anyone can play it awesome. right now, uh, but it's not fully done yet. Hell That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> All right, listeners, 
you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with James and the Giant Peach and Inscription? We're curious because we've been telling you to play it for multiple weeks now. <laughs> um, send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> <laughs>